0: The Lifestylist, episode 140, featuring Jasmine Hemsley.
1: I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Do you listen to this show and other health related shows that give a lot of advice on superfoods and herbs and vitamins and supplements, but find yourself a bit overwhelmed? It's like just too much. You can't have 45 bottles of pills in your cabinet and figure out when to take what and what they do and all that. I know a lot of you listening are like that. So I'm happy to announce uh, one of our new show sponsors called Athletic Greens. And Athletic Greens is more than just another greens product, it's actually the most complete whole food supplement available on the market. It's got over 75 ingredients all working together to help you in 11 areas of health. It's been developed over 10 years by doctors, nutritionists, naturopaths, and one scoop of this stuff is like having eleven supplements in one. I'm not even kidding. So it's really great for the convenience factor, the energy, the lift that it gives you. It's also great for travel because it comes in these little packets if you so choose. So it is really awesome, and I'm just very happy to bring them on board. And I'd love for you to explore this and uh, see what you think. So if you go to this URL, get ready, get your pen out, get your brain out, get ready to type athleticgreens.com forward slash Luke you will get 20 free travel packets valued at 99 bucks with your first purchase just because you listen to this show. It's pretty dope. So again, go to athleticgrains.com forward slash Luke to claim your special offer right now. Today's show is brought to you by my friends over at Organifi. Now, if you've been listening to the show, you know I always talk about their green superfood powder because I literally eat it every single day, and I'm not even exaggerating. The stuff is amazing. However, they just sent me a tub of this new product called Organifi Gold, and dude, it is so good. It's a ginger-flavored tea, sort of like a golden milk latte type situation. It's got turmeric, reishi mushroom, lemon balm extract turkey tail mushrooms of course it's totally organic what's cool about it is you can make sort of a bulletproof drink like a hot elixir with coconut oil grass fed butter or ghee or you can just make a smoothie with ice and you know some kind of nut milk or something like that so you can do it hot or cold it's got no caffeine no sugar, and it really relaxes you. So I really like it at night. It's like a nice warm drink. You make a nice fatty little drink out of it. It's gently detoxifying and just really chills you out. So I'm super into it. So it's called Organifi Gold. You can get it at Organifi.com. That's spelled with an I. And as always, your old pal Luke's got a hookup for you. If you use the code LIFESTYLIST, you will save 20% on your order. So I'm still in the green powder, but I'm adding this to the nightly regimen now because the green powder's got a little bit of matcha in it, so I don't like to do that at night. I do that in the morning, and I do the gold at night now. And I'm about half a tub in, and I'm already freaking out because I'm running out. So check it out at Organifi.com. Use the code LIFESTYLIST and save yourself a cool 20%. Hey, babe. Take a walk on the wild side. What's happening? It's Luke's story back with another episode of the Lifestylist podcast. And per usual, this one will not disappoint. Our guest today is Jasmine Hemsley, a lovely young lady from the United Kingdom, who has a fantastic accent, by the way. The episode's worth listening just for that. I'm not going to do her or you a disservice by attempting to mimic it, but it's pretty fantastic. What's even more fantastic is that Jasmine is a world-famous well-being expert best-selling author and TV presenter. Her new venture, East by West, which is a great book, interprets ayurveda-inspired cuisine and wisdom for a western audience. The book is beautiful. I've got a copy of it here, and she really delves further into her passion for holistic eastern foods and therapies and fuses it with the best principles of ancestral paleo diet traditions. Really cool combination when it comes to food. So this one's really about like how to make healthy food taste good, and be good for you at the same time, which is something I know very little about because I don't know how to cook. So I really enjoyed actually having a chef's table sort of conversation. Now, you don't have to be a foodie to enjoy this one because there are so many lessons in health in general, but it's a really good episode and very informative if you happen to be someone that in really enjoys food. If you're a foodie, a chef, a cook going to dig this one because she's a legit. So here's a brief summary of what she and I cover in this delicious conversation about food and life, combining the paleo primal way of eating with the Ayurvedic diet, how she comes up with so many amazing recipes and whether or not chefs rip each other off. (laughs) Because I've always wondered, like, how much do they borrow from one another? And the story of how she comes up with her ideas is pretty cool. Utilitarian eating versus being a full-on foodie. Gut health and which foods are the best and worst for you? where hunger begins and cravings end, and emotional eating versus actual hunger. The proper pace for eating. And then we talk about a really important principle, and that is the principle of food combining and what happens if you break that principle. So this is a really good one. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it, and I anticipate that you will have the same reaction. So before we dive into this conversation, I'd like to remind you of a couple things. First off is next week's episode with Tara Mackey. I sat down with her for a couple hours and talked about how she got herself off of copious amounts of really dangerous and harmful pharmaceutical drugs using diet and lifestyle. You do not want to miss that episode. So make sure you subscribe to the show. Next up, I'll be speaking June 14th at 6.30 p.m. at Bulletproof Labs in Santa Monica, California. Come hang out with me. You know why? Because it's free. Here's the deal, though. You can't just show up. You have to RSVP because space is very limited. To get into that event, just go to lukestory.com forward slash event. And last but certainly not least, I need to remind you to join my newsletter. Every Tuesday, I'm going to send you an email with all of the links, the video, the audio from each and every podcast that I produce. So if you sign up for the newsletter today. Next week, when the Tara Mackey episode comes out, you're going to get a nice friendly reminder. Hey, the episode's out. Here's the video. Here's the audio. Here's all the links, all the show notes. It's a really high value newsletter, not a bunch of swag, not a bunch of bogus stuff. To join the newsletter, real simple. You can just go to lukestory.com forward slash newsletter, enter your name and email, done. It literally takes probably 30 seconds. Now, if you want to make it even faster and easier and you have a US phone handy, text the word, the lifestylist to the number 44222. So right now, just open up your text app, put in the number 44222. I know it's a weird number, but that's what it is. And in the body of the text, put one word, all lowercase, the lifestylist, click send and bada bing, bada boom. Next thing you know, you're going to get a text back. Only one text. I'm not going to start texting you. I don't have time for that business. And it's just going to ask for your name or email and you're on my newsletter. And uh, as I said, it's a really high value newsletter with a lot of good information. I don't want you to crash your car trying to write something down as you listen to these shows. So there you go. That's all I've got for you this week. Uh, I'm going to just go ahead and jump right into this fantastic conversation with the lovely Jasmine
0: Hemsley. Key is to really appreciate your food. And then you know what you need and when. When it's satisfying you, when it's not, you know? When it's serving you, when it's not.
1: Welcome to the Lifestylist podcast, Jasmine.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, lovely to meet you. And you. You, like many of my guests, weren't informed that we will also be shooting video here. So nope. luckily you showed up in a cool outfit. You got your whole group on. the
0: Lifestyleist um, Very test. much so.
1: But oftentimes when I interview people and they're not warned, they're like, wait, what? Oh, my God. And they start freaking out. I'm like, dude, it's cool. This is a very earthy show. It's all good. But you, we kind of fit the ambiance today, yeah. so nice we're and stylish. And we matching colors. So you've got a funny accent. Where are you from?
0: I am from, I live in London. I grew up mostly in southwest London. So it's called Greater London now as London keeps expanding in a place called Surbiton, part of Kingston, near Wimbledon. Is that ring right. any bells?
1: Got it. Is that anywhere near... Grimsby?
0: No. <laughs> Grimsby's
1: north. Oh, it is. Okay. I'm trying to get my bearings. I haven't been there in a long, long time. Grimsby,
0: and if I might be no, wrong. No, no, no. It's I... very north. What are you thinking? No,
1: no, no. I'm thinking of a town that's by Wimbledon that I used to stay in, not Grimsby. Uh,
0: Southfields? Putney? Putney. Yeah. Just like Grimsby, not Putney. Lots of traffic, just yeah, like LA. Yeah, Because yeah. that's
1: where we used to stay. I was in a band, and we used to go to the UK quite a bit, and we would stay in Putney, and everyone always said, oh, we're right by um, that stadium or whatever." Or Wim- was it Wimbledon? Is that what you said? Or Wembley?
0: Wembley. Wembley. Wembley's not near I'm Putney. I'm thinking of I'm Are you thinking thinking of Wembley? Wimbledon. Wimbledon. <laughs> Wimbledon. Wimbledon is famous for, is it famous for its dog racing? I don't know. We've got Wimbledon. You've got Wembley, which is the big stadium. Okay. Okay. That's the Thank big you. music stadium. Okay. And then you've got Putney, which is near Wimbledon. Okay, Southwest. so it's near Wimbledon. Kind of on way is to me. Wimbledon yeah.
1: not where they have the big tennis matches? Yes. Okay, thank you. Oh god,
0: you. I, I can't believe I said the dog races. No, That's... I'm not a very good Brit right now.
1: <laughs> That's the correlation I was trying to make because I used yeah. to try to suss out like how to take the train from Putney because it was very boring out there. No offense yeah. to any Putney listeners, but I was like, Oh my god, this is the lamest town ever. And they're like, You're not really in London. You need to get on the train and yeah. head up that way, and then I'd pop out of the tube and be like, Oh, now this is a cool city. Yeah, you have you know? to
0: get on the overland. It's it's hard to reach by car as well, Putney, because because it's just yeah. it's a bit of a thoroughfare, so it's yeah. always traffic. Cool, but yeah,
1: and uh yeah, so hence the accent. Okay, cool. So tell us about your company Hemsley and Hemsley. What, what's up with you? You work with your sister Melissa. You yes. guys seem to be doing a lot of stuff: books, TV shows, events. You're you're on fire. You got a restaurant, so give us the whole overview. That's of why your, I'm
0: here resting. Um, so, of your,
1: do you? What do you have? Four people in your empire. I was hearing something today. <laughs> it's
0: yeah, four. Yeah, so it's for, it's, I
1: still, I call that a mini empire. So tell us about it.
0: It's still very cottage, although it looks, it does look big time. Um, so it's my other half, Nick, my sister, Melissa, and Eva, who's working with us. The story kind of begins. I mean, I was I was modeling for years. I just got really interested in, I like food. I didn't understand the gym, although I'm quite sporty. I guess I became conscious in my mid 20s of you know my moods my energy levels your skin your physique you know all those kind of superficial things as well and food and it just didn't add up for me so margarine didn't add up soy chicken breast didn't add up oh god you <laughs> know low breast. calorie this and prepackaged <laughs> right. that and pre smoothies which was kind of these shakes and it was all just a bit weird and and also this idea that iceberg tuna salad was healthy and it just didn't make sense i mean i grew up my mom's filipino my dad is english he's in the army and so i grew up this kind of like you know home cooking quite frugal eat what's on your plate and you know we really loved mealtimes they weren't fancy they weren't it wasn't anything to write a book about it wasn't romanticized it was just mom and dad worked came home put food on the table we ate the filipino remedy for everything is food you're mm. Tired? Eat something. You got a headache? Eat something. Got tummy ache? Eat something. That's interesting because
1: it seems there's a, a decent sized Filipino uh, population here, and it appears that most of the, most of them are are quite thin you know i don't yeah but yeah i mean i don't see i don't like oh here's another fat filipino person <laughs> seems like you guys are pretty i like i think of my friend jeffrey super fit guy yeah. very tall thin you yeah, know yeah, kind yeah. of frame so it's interesting uh sometimes i think cultures that fix things with food end mm. up kind of ballooning up a bit so.
0: well you know it was really my mom's generation and you know my aunties who are not really blood aunties but I grew up within the UK we ate our greens we ate we ate meat but meat on the bone and not a lot of it we everything was stewy and hot and warming you ate together there wasn't separate meals for everyone that's what,
1: that's what I was going to ask you about and you know I don't want to get too psychological because it, it's a it could take us down another path here but Do you think that there was a strong, healthy family bond in in your family due to the fact that that was part of the tradition that you guys would actually sit around and eat together and sort of be forced to be intimate and stay in touch with one another emotionally and whatnot? Yeah.
0: I mean, I wouldn't know at the time, I didn't really know anything different, but, you know, as I, as I became a teenager and I was aware of going to friends' houses and, you know, the supermarket ready meal had started. And so everyone would just kind of, it would almost be like the, the fridge would open, you'd grab something. So there weren't really the meal times. And I remember thinking that was kind of weird, but also very exotic and fascinating. And I remember the packaging in the supermarket screaming at me, like, buy me, buy me. And my parents wouldn't buy it, mostly because of the price and then because of maybe what oh, it was made up. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sort of like
1: a, a fringe benefit of not being crazy wealthy is yeah. you're like, oh, you can't have that bright, shiny, toxic thing. Exactly. So wow. it wasn't
0: like my mom was going, oh, that hasn't got enough hemp seed in it or that hasn't got, you know, it was <laughs> right. none of that. It was right. just, you know, I don't think it's particularly good for you and, yeah. you know, you eat a proper meal. Yeah. So I grew up eating well and regularly and with family. And as a consequence, I was cooking from eight years old. And um, wow. yeah,
1: so... Because that that is going to lead into one of my later questions, like how the hell do you come up with all these <laughs> recipes? I'm looking at your book and I'm, on your site, you have like it like, seems like hundreds of recipes. I'm yeah. like dude, I have like three recipes, and they're all made in a Vitamix.
0: Well, I, I, mean? I think I, my first cookbook was 165. I think we overdelivered by a third. Oh my god! Yeah, and um, I like to overdeliver. When,
1: and when it comes to you know, because cook, it's it's fun that I'm interviewing you because. I'm the antithesis of a foodie. Like to me, it's food is very utilitarian. I'm just yeah. like, like, when I have to eat, I'm like, oh God, I got to eat. And I just want to do as quickly as possible, something as nutrient dense as possible and just get over with. It's very much like going to the bathroom. It's like, oh God, I got to go to the bathroom. It's what, time. A, what a waste of time, you know, until I sit down yeah. to a properly prepared meal by yeah. a great you know, talented chef or I go to a really nice like farm to table restaurant. I go, oh, now I get foodies. This is an amazing experience. But I think because I don't know how to cook and I'm not interested in learning, it just sort of falls by the wayside. No,
0: I can totally understand. I've got friends who just, you know, have never cooked and it doesn't interest them. And in fact, it's actually because we talk about foodies and everyone has an opinion about food now. I think it almost puts them off. They almost don't want to learn because they might not be good at it. And, right. and why do they need to add another problem to their, right. you know, to the things they have to do in a day? But for me, it's not even, you know, I'm. when people say, oh, you're a foodie or you're this and that, it's not, it's not like I sit there and although people have said, Jazz, you talk about your experience or the place you've been via the food. But it's not like I kind of talk about the textures and this and that going together or anything like that. For right. me, I love tasty food. I also want it to be good for me. And I want to get it on the table as quickly as possible. So I'm not somebody who'll go, what am I going to do today? I'm going to just stay in the kitchen and, you know, create magic. That's not me. I love the people that do (laughs) that. I know I'm I'm fascinated by the people who do that. For me, it's like I want something to just tick. Or, you know, I've I've got particular taste buds. They're dry, apparently, according to one of my chefs at my cafe. I love flavors. I do love textures, but not to talk about, just to eat. And so that's how I started to cook. Because I realized, you know, as I was growing up, and food became, a you know, it was different in England. We were different. We we're a bit behind. You know, you couldn't just... I that. You couldn't just walk yeah. out and get something. I mean, it really... You really yeah. couldn't. You either were super bourgeois and ate in a, a fine dining restaurant, or there was a greasy spoon, which is a kind of fried breakfast cafe. I
1: in my... Uh, I think I've done five pretty extended trips to the UK, and I pretty much ate curry. Yeah, exclusively. we do do like, curry well. We do you know curry that was like the only yeah. food that was. I was a vegetarian at the time. That yeah. was the only food that was open late, readily available. There was yeah. all you're always within walking distance of a hotel or a venue yeah. or something like that. Curry, curry,
0: curry, and
1: uh, <laughs> but it was really good. And yeah. the Indian food I found to be a lot tastier there than in America. Yes, and I- then I and then I went to India and I was like, oh, this food, this Indian food tastes like the UK Indian food. And I remember thinking, why can't we import? some immigrants from India in LA that know how to make yeah. the food like this? Like, it's funny, isn't it? Are they from different regions? And they might the good ones moved to the UK and the ones that like suck at cooking moved to yeah. California? I don't get it.
0: Well, you guys had Thai and, you know, all these other, Mexican. We just right. didn't have that in the UK till right. I was in my 20s. You know, Thai, no one knew really Thai food. But we did ha- We did do curry well. We The best Chinese I've ever had has actually been in America. But yeah, Indian food's great. But that was still expensive, you know, and... Kind of a one-off, maybe something you do for your birthday or something. In my house, anyway. And so, when you left the house, you had to have a packed lunch, otherwise uh, you didn't eat.
1: Did you get made fun of if you went to school with a packed lunch? Was it like
0: I, I, I did, but I do remember a time because I also lived in Germany because my dad was in the army, so I, right. I moved there too. And I remember a time when my packed lunches were just people would bid for them. Because my mom did really awesome packed oh, really? lunches. Yeah, I, I remember mean just trying tasty. to... My
1: mom was a real health nut, you know, so yeah. she would make me these, I don't remember, just tons of fruit and just yeah. chopped carrots and like boring, yeah, you know, yeah. I wanted like...
0: Oh, you know, my mom's best one was a spring roll sandwich. I would trade
1: like my <laughs> whole lunch for like one tasty, you know, a Twinkie or something from yeah, some other yeah. kid, you know, it was like, my, I didn't have a lot of bartering power because mine was quite healthy, but there was this... Also, if you didn't have money to go eat out at lunch or get in the cafeteria, you were sort of like a, you know, it was like a class, a caste system. Yeah. In a sense. And I was, I was, as a kid, I was always embarrassed and self-conscious that I had to bring my, my little brown sack lunch to school and i get made fun of a bit and stuff. Yeah.
0: Well, I remember, I remember being in playgroup, and my mom had obviously said, no to crisps so my my childminder was also also worked at the playgroups this is like a nursery yeah i'm still fascinated by the sound of crisp packets because when every kid got dropped off the would parents, you
1: translate crisp for our american audience
0: chips yeah. chips packets <laughs> potato so chips so right? weird for me yeah. Yeah, yeah potato chip packets so they were all yeah. the crinkle you know they weren't the long life foil ones they were the really plasticky crinkly ones and as each child was dropped off their name would be written on the packet of crisps they bought packet of Potato chips and i never got those i got a biscuit from the biscuit tin nutrient wise and everything they were probably not far off each other but for right. some reason a biscuit was healthier than a packet of crisps so everyone had their packet of crisp with milk and i had my biscuit and i just so i now have a bit of an obsession about crisps it's still the thing that kind of if i'm down or i you know i i, I I haven't slept enough or I'm cranky or something. I like a packet of it's a
1: comfort cheese it's
0: It's my nostalgia,
1: yeah, so I'm wondering something about creating these amazing recipes that you do and that you're so prolific in doing so, and I was thinking about it in terms of a creative process, so you have someone who paints a painting and they might be influenced by another painter or use a medium that another artist uses in a similar way and uh being a musician myself, there are many times when I sit down to write a song. And I wouldn't even realize it, but I totally cop someone else's, you know, riff or a sequence or lyric or something like that. How do you actually come up with your recipes in order to come up with so many? And and within the world of chefery and cuisine, is there a lot of like direct plagiarism where someone goes on your blog and lifts a recipe and tries to claim it as their own? How, how does the creative process of, of making a recipe work?
0: Well, I think I heard once in music, didn't they say something like every song's already been written? It's right. just... It's a reinvention of it. One thing I was really, really amazed because a lot of the time I think it in my head and it will be based on pff, I'll be lying in bed, I'll be nostalgically thinking about something or I'll have a craving for a certain texture or I'll be inspired by something savour I've had and how can I turn it into something sweet or I've eaten something really nice somewhere and I just think I can actually do a better job making it more nutritious. So those are the kind of weird Thought processes that go through my head. I was inspired a lot, mostly by my clients, because I was I was catering privately. I was like a health coach, chef by accident. That's how it all started. Long bef- before the books, before the blogs, before everything, I was working for a band that were having a reunion, and I somehow got um, recommended to them. I was still modelling at the time. When they just needed, they needed more energy. They didn't want to be on a diet, diet, and maybe one of them had some weight issues and things, and so. Um, I kind of brought along my philosophy of good digestion, whole foods, properly prepared, slow cooked foods have been broken down, eating mindfully, chewing it well, sleeping at certain times of the day, um, of, of the night, eating at certain times of the day. And so a lot of inspiration came from clients saying, oh, I really miss chicken liver pate.
1: Oh, uh, Or okay. can you
0: make a cake that does this, that, you know, X, Y, Z. Right. I was also into... The, Because this was kind of really took off in 2009 when we didn't have anything like what you have in LA in the UK. So it wasn't like I bumped into a massage kale salad while I was in the UK. That wasn't going to happen. And a lot of inspiration came from Kind of online, or you know, I was I was really into one of the earliest people was people like Mark Sisson and Chris Kresser.
1: Oh right, so I right. kind of put a
0: feminine twist on what I thought they wow, were talking that's about. that's funny!
1: I didn't even know you were like influenced by that whole yeah. kind of paleo primal. Yeah, movement.
0: it was a big. Yeah. You know, I I um, I was I was really into kind of gut health before it became very popular. And in fact, right. I really fought to write about gut health in my fi- first cookbook that came out in 2014, much to the publisher's horror, because they were like, you can't put the word gut in a cookbook. It's gross. <laughs> that's,
1: you know, that's, that's funny, actually, because that word, there's certain words that I think are gross, and gut is one of them. Really? Like when people talk about, oh, I'm getting my gut biome test. I'm like, ugh. Uh. Like, I don't know why. I have that maybe. It's I'm- just
0: that big old section here it's, it's most just, it's most of you, you it's know? just one
1: of those words that i actually don't so I don't if you like were the publisher i
0: wouldn't have got it in basically yeah, right? i was never bought i was fascinated by it more than anything yeah. um i like freaking people out and saying you're more you're more bug than human so yeah so that, it came from that and then obviously our cookbook in the you know the art of eating well in 2014 was the beginning of a a big load of wellness cookbooks coming in and i get sent a lot of them and i don't read them Mainly because I don't want to feel like I'm ever going to lift something, or even paraphrase something.
1: Ah, I see. Yeah, right. So right. if I
0: do read cookbooks, it'll be old. You know, it'll be old school cookbooks, or right. or like have you heard of Morrow the restaurant? No, I haven't. That's, that's lovely, and it's so I kind of look at those and think about how I can inject a bit more vegetables in it, or right, right. get some more. I don't know. Get some bone broth in there, or, or do that kind of thing. So that's that's kind of my my process. That's, I want it to be tasty. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, um, in terms of yeah. keeping the you know the commitment to obviously your integrity and originality. I have heard many musicians say when they're working on an album or they're doing some writing that they don't listen to other music. Yeah, because they don't want to be influenced by it, or they don't want to like inadvertently lift something. You know, exactly, and yeah. it would be
0: painful to think you've come up with something incredible and then oh, then you hear it. Right. But I remember once I'm um, one of the. Salad dressings I made was a ginger and anchovy dressing. And so, what I, you know, in cakes and things, I love putting like basil in my cake and stuff like that. And sometimes I'll do a little Google search and ginger and anchovy, I couldn't find anything on it. Mm. I was like, okay, it must taste gross. It tastes delicious. Wow. just, I, you know, there's usually yeah. someone on the internet somewhere who's right. covered something, you know, right. and that was the one thing I couldn't find. Weirdly. In terms of
1: primal, ancestral, dietary, um, you know, guidelines. Have you have you come up with anything innovative in terms of making organ meats taste edible? Um, I think that's pe- yeah. people struggle a lot with you know liver and yeah, yeah, kidney and brain and all these different parts of the animal that are very nutrient dense, but they're just. I think we've sort of uh, our, our palate over time has been diluted to where those really strong tasting foods are not. Yeah,
0: I mean, organ uh, meats can be quite strong tasting. They're also They have a different smell. Each of them has a different smell from each other. They're hard to get hold of. Then you've got to clean them. I think it's kind of off-putting if you haven't been brought up through generations of cooking, you know?
1: I mean, do you think we would, ancestrally speaking, in in terms of a Paleolithic viewpoint would would we not have, you know, a few hundred years ago, probably had those as part of our regular diet as Absolutely. a hunter gatherer. Or Absolutely. maybe maybe even pre agriculture, obviously if you yeah. go back ten thousand, say, I mean, that yeah. would have been a primary source of nutrition, right? Yeah.
0: And I think I've read you go straight for the organ meats. Right. You know, that would be the first choice over the muscle meat. I've heard that too, yeah. actually.
1: Yeah, they, I've heard they would give the muscle meats to the dog because yeah. they would go bad. We've read so. the same funny That's dodgy funny. blog on the <laughs> yeah, internet. Yeah, we? Yeah, yeah.
0: But, you know, even when you look, you know, post-agriculture, you can kind of look, think about, you know, villages. You know, a, a lot of the food I like is very rustic peasant food. I like, I grew up on Filipino food. It was bowl food. It was wet and it was sloppy and it was warming. And so when you read about, you know, maybe in rural Italy, they're not eating pasta. You know, that was expensive. You needed a really good machine to get that flour white and you needed the machine to extrude it into pasta. They were eating beans, chestnuts, forage type things. Then you had the wild boar or maybe you would raise a pig and you would eat that pig all year, every part of it. Oh, interesting! Would go Hence food. the cured meats and exactly, stuff. Oh, and just you know, wow, even like I don't know, the ears would go in and flavor a big batch of soup. The bones would not be wasted; they would make the broth. So it's kind of almost plant-based to look at, but there would be some kind of animal element when they could use it and when they could afford it. For me, it's the future, if you like. It ticks a lot of the boxes because some people do need meat. I mean, on a on a on a biological level, they really do thrive on meat. Yes. I would be. I would be one. Of I would those. be one. I, I was a vegetarian
1: I, yeah. for ten years. I always talk about it on the show, and I respect anyone's choices. I don't care. Like I, you can eat the fucking sofa. I'm not. I really am not concerned with what people eat. It's none of my business. Yeah, yeah. But just subjectively, my own experience, it was frustrating because I thought I was being healthy, and I was eating so many inflammatory foods and things like that. And once I went back onto meat and bone broth and I started, I started, when I first started eating meat again, I was like so malnourished. I actually used to go to the farmer's market and get a uh, beef liver, like breastfed yeah, yeah, beef yeah. liver. That's
0: quite heavy. And I would,
1: try, I would <laughs> chop it up and yeah. I would take, uh, I'd freeze it and I just eat cubes of it like vitamins, you know, and like raw egg yolks. I would put like six to eight egg yolks in a, blender and just chug them you know
0: so you went from none to like
1: yeah I mean my (laughs) body (laughs) as I started to eat that stuff my body was just like more 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 and now it's much more balanced I don't eat I think we can all go
0: we can all go on our own journeys with food I mean there are so many there's so many different horses for different courses we change constantly and I'm vegetarian when I don't know where the meats come from
1: yeah, me too. <laughs> me yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And I'm vegetarian when I feel like I'm. I'm really needing to make a more conscious effort to get some more vegetables in me. You know, yeah. it's. It's. Um. I've done. I remember my other half and I, eight years ago, we, somehow went vegetarian. We were traveling through Hong Kong and it didn't really suit us seeing the animals. You know, animal welfare and stuff. Um. So we we went vegetarian. Uh. We still ate um sheep's cheese and things, and we got to Australia. And I think what started as a month, we went into like six weeks or eight weeks. And I'm telling you, when we finally booked in and had some meat, it was (laughs) was like manna from heaven. I really appreciated it. And I think that's the key is to really appreciate your food. And then you know what you need and when when it's satisfying you, when it's not, you know, when it's serving you, when it's not. I think a lot of us mindlessly eat more than our fair share a lot of the time. And I think that's nice. It's nice to celebrate with a lot of food. That means abundance and family and sharing. But it's a shame when you're at your desk and you don't even know what you ate, you know, and you're kind of your your gut pays the price.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I have started to be more discerning about where, hunger begins and where craving ends, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. the difference between like craving something. And last year it was really weird. I started to crave sugar a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've, I've always been like a huge, sweet yeah. We can talk about that actually. Yeah. But as I became more high fat and ate like closer to a paleo diet, um, I stopped craving grains and carbs and sugar yeah. and stuff like that. I and mean, just be more, you know, a cyclical, cyclical ketosis, I guess you could say. So kind of eating a very high fat diet. And last year I started like at night I just like oh my god I start craving sugar, and then I ended up having just some energy issues and stuff. So I had a whole round of functional medicine lab tests, and my gut was just wrecked. I had like yeast and parasites and E. coli. I mean it was just like a disaster. And so I went through this whole herbal protocol and this detox for like a month. And halfway through it, I was like shit. You can't even pay me to eat sugar. I was just not interested. You know I thought oh that's so funny. I wasn't hungry for these foods at night. It was like cravings, and they were coming from the bugs in the gut wanting more of this and more of that. I'm literally being like controlled by that. And that's not even to speak of emotional eating where you're eating foods that produce a lot of dopamine that help you forget about your problems, you yeah, know? Yeah. So there really is a lot, there is a lot more to That you know, there's the psychology and yes. then there's the, the gut so, biome piece yeah. that are going to dictate what you eat how would you
0: And there's the ayurvedic way as well right and i want to and i want to
1: totally i want to go into that especially as it relates to eating meat and stuff but when it comes to food cravings and what motivates us what are some of the things that would motivate us to 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 eat a certain way and how can we learn how to really be in tune with our body and listen to what the body needs where the body's like you know what i need 10 egg yolks right now and you know it's a legitimate
0: need i think from my experience and the reason that i'm I I'm doing what I'm doing and being quite successful at it, is, at it is because I think I've I'm quite good at observing. I'm I'm quite interested in watching myself kid myself a lot of the time about food or about anything. You know, I'll, I'll watch even in a shop. Do I like it? I don't know if I like it. Someone else buys it. I like it. I want it. I really wanted that. Now she's got it. You know, <laughs> yeah, I I, yeah, yeah. I really love watching right, this whole right. scenario play out in my head. So I would say, yeah, you've got this this emotional eating. You know, there's I'm definitely an emotional eater. I've got friends whose appetite shuts off the minute they hear bad news. For me, maybe it's the Filipino kind of eat and then sort it out. Once you eat, the problem will go. You know, so I'll just eat, and I've got to really watch that. And that's particular about chocolate, actually, or salt and then chocolate and then chocolate and then salt. <laughs> so you know, you have that's the, a lot of self awareness. Yeah, actually. yeah. You yeah. have the salt, then you want something sweet to balance it. Then you have right. the too much sweet, then you want the salt. So I could right. I could yo-yo between those two. Right and I watch myself because I'm I'm only picking off a corner of that chocolate and then I'll look and the whole bar's gone. So uh, there's there's that emotional eating. Then there's the nostalgia of food. So I can think what I like about the nutrition in food. But if I am in Germany I want to eat wurst and senf which is which is sausage and mustard because that's what I had when I was there and that brings back so much memory. And I'll do it once and I'm done. But I, it's a bit like I once went to Thailand and I went on this um, detox retreat thing and I didn't first have a Thai curry. So what did I do? I thought about a Thai curry for the whole week. I was obsessed with the Thai curry. If I just had a Thai curry when I'd land, I would have ticked that box. So I know for me, a lot of things are nostalgia. Even foods I didn't like when I was young, Filipino foods, now that no one's making them because all my aunties are too, can't be bothered, you know? especially when cakes are so cheap in the supermarkets and that kind of thing now i really miss it even though i didn't like it so there's nostalgia is a big thing then there's obviously what's your gut? what's what's your biology craving screaming out for sugars there's cravings that are cravings that you can't even talk yourself out of because they're screaming so loudly in your head you know
1: i have those commonly
0: (laughs) yeah then there's sleep deprivation hunger Oh, what's that? What's well, up with that? I think they say something like you eat. I don't know, fifty percent more calories when you're when you haven't slept because your energy has to come oh, from somewhere. Wow! And we all love to not sleep. We all love to sleep, but yeah. we all love to put everything else before sleep. And oh, so, yeah. when we're not sleeping properly, properly, and we do how many things in a day? I mean, you've got your style school, you've got your podcasts, everything. You're always on a mission. You know, we sleep gets gets it in the neck really and then and then you don't make quite the right decisions you make decisions that make you feel better now and not thinking about what it's going to do long term so that was how I realized coffee was not my friend so coffee would be something I'd kind of go oh I've not slept well I'll have a coffee but it really I'm really sensitive to the caffeine and it it just kind of spiraled
1: have you ever done any genetic testing to see how quickly no, you metabolize caffeine? No,
0: one of my best friends bought me a kit, I forgot, I forgot what it's called now, about two years ago for Christmas. 23
1: and Me or something?
0: I think it was that, and I still haven't done it.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I took a test because I always thought I was very sensitive to caffeine, and yeah. I took a test, they're like, no, you metabolize. Uh, metabolize caffeine like a piece. I was like, great, yeah, Getting yeah. A double coffee.
0: <laughs> and then how <laughs> you know? did you feel?
1: You know, I am I am actually. The, meta- the metabolizing uh, has to do with how fast it goes through you and how long it lasts. So I can have a coffee at like five or six and sleep just as well. So it's more about that. But I do feel just nervous system-wise and just the way that I'm wired so this in, is a this is a in my personality. It does yeah. make me a little nervous. Like today I didn't have coffee and I would say I'm much more chill. Yeah having this interview and doing all this, then I would be, would have been had I had a big coffee today.
0: Yeah. So in Ayurveda, we'd call this a quality. It's the quality of caffeine is to stimulate the nervous system. Mm. So it might you might still be metabolizing it, mm-hmm. but it has a hyper, you know, it affects you. It affects your mood. It's very, It's yeah, it's what they call stimulating. So ca- coffee, chili, you know, alcohol, these are all very, very stimulating. And then alcohol is then very gives you a downer afterwards but so what you get from the west this is why my book's called east by west i love this kind of holistic approach from the east and then we've got the kind of the science stuff from the west and if you can kind of marry them i think it's a it's a really nice combination because we could argue you're going to get a lot of podcasts (laughs) you can you can fill thousands we could you could chat to everyone that all have completely different views about food and it'll be where that person is now, the journey they've been on, what their belief system is. I mean, you you meet people on your journey, I'm sure you've had this, where they start speaking, you know, like, I'm hooked on you. You've made me, I've now seen my life in a whole complete different way and I'm going to change this, 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 that, that in my fridge. So, yeah, I'm sure I can metabolize coffee because if I'm on holiday, coffee has got zero effect on me. So I find it exacerbates whatever I'm doing. So if I'm writing emails, I start writing emails like that. Right. If I'm having a good time, I start having a really good time. If I'm chilled out on a, on a sun lounge or on the beach, I'm really chilled out. So for me, it's, a, it's the quality of the stimulating effect of the coffee on where I'm at, rather than can my body actually metabolize it.
1: Let's go into the East by West philosophy then, because... I, I have not yet covered Ayurveda Ooh. on the show. Uh, I did one show early on with Mas Vidal, and that was more about uh, lifestyle than mm-hmm. food. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just more about kind of the philosophy and the, the doshas and things like yeah. that. But even then, we ended up veering off into meditation and yoga and all kinds of stuff. So give us a, you know... a bird's eye view just a brief explanation of what ayurveda is for okay. someone who doesn't know and then i want to go into how you have managed to marry that with the mm-hmm. primal you know ancestral diet and the science and all of that which is quite valid because that's yeah. a fascinating approach
0: okay so ayurveda which i'm sure i'm saying wrong is um the science of life so ayur is life and veda is knowledge or science so science of life and it comes from this 5,000-year-old Vedic civilization who, when you read about them, were geniuses. It's where yoga came from. It's where Vastu came from, which is the, like, feng shui, architecture, science, maths, everything. This philosophy of, of living well is, I guess, it, it sits side by side with yoga, which has the same roots. And yoga is almost living the lifestyle. That'd be the very loosest terms of how Ayurveda and yoga fit. So yoga is how you live that knowledge of Ayurveda. Does that make sense?
1: Totally, yeah.
0: Okay. And so Ayurveda could be, you could call it the delicate balance of mind, body, and spirit. So it's interested in those three. Something we're just beginning to talk about in the West, isn't it, is mental health and spiritual health? We've been so obsessed by the physical for so so long. <laughs> you know, what do you look like? How many how many totally. how many press ups? What's your six pack like? How fast can you run? What's your lung capacity? You know, it's right. that kind of thing. Right. Um, oh, she's really healthy because she's got great skin and great hair. You know, it doesn't matter that she's inside she's whatever Still hits her mom. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we're just realizing there's so much more because you know we are we are very lucky to be sitting here. Not really worrying about our next meal, not really worrying about a roof over our head, not really worrying about how we're going to keep warm. you know we've got we've got the basics to survive, and now we're interested in thriving, and people are filling their lives with stuff, and there's still this void. So we're just kind of now embracing. that's why I feel like yoga has come as this very physical, all about the asanas and now suddenly, and it got it got more extreme, it got into bikram, it got into rocket right and now right. suddenly, actually, we're going to classes and we're paying to do some breath work, which, you know, who would have bought that ticket 20 years ago?
1: I just went to a sound bath last night. It was 25 bucks <laughs> and
0: I've, I happily paid. I play sound baths. Oh, really? Yeah. And oh, they're, cool. they're 45. <laughs> <laughs> I play crystal bowls, actually. Oh, neat. Yeah. yeah. The, the, which is basically my a way of me nurturing my yin side, my feminine energy. Right. Because I, I I wear pants, I'm a businesswoman, I've got business, yeah. I run around.
1: It's funny. I was just, you're like reading my mind. And I love that our conversations obviously have the ability to kind of meander in and out. But I was sitting here and you were saying something, and I wasn't paying attention. I was thinking about something else. And I was like, oh, she's a business, because you mentioned your uh, your partner, was your husband? Yeah. Your better half.
0: But, um, your, he's my other half.
1: You, you called him your other half, or your other half, not your better half. And I was sitting there thinking, I said, oh, I wonder how the relationship works because she's out doing business and being proactive and, you know, do, using that young energy to yeah, make shit yeah. happen and make money and build a business. Yeah. And I was just for, you know, a millisecond thought, I said, oh, I wonder what he's like is do they, how do they find balance? So maybe that's a question, you know.
0: It is. I mean, I am um, what we'd call what Moss might have covered. Is it Moss or Mass? Mass. Moss.
1: Moss. Moss Vidal. Moss. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm very Vata. I'm Vata Pitta which means I'm I'm Vata vatas the airy, fast, light, dry, jumping from subject to subject, as you'll be able to say, sorry, editor, by the way, wanting to try everything, quick to learn, easy to forget. Not I'm easy to forget. I forget everything. A kind of a bit of a consumer. I want to be everywhere. The Pitta side is a very type A personality, uh, a leader, perfectionist qualities, maybe. And so I've got, this, a lot of vata and some pitta. And then you have a bit of kapha as well because we've got all three doshas in, in, in us. And they all play out in different ways depending on your environment, the time of your life, the time of the day, the seasons. But because London is very fast, quick, dry, stimulating, which is also vata, I have to really watch my vata. And that's why drinking coffee is not good for me in London. Right, It's just right. too much. You get too so, intense. Yeah. So Ayurveda says the more more creates imbalance. Mm. You know, you need the opposite to balance. So, for example, if I'm, you know, my characteristics, you know, I've got, you know, my bones will be light. My frame is small and slight. I would love to do spin class and crazy stuff. It just doesn't suit me. I need grounding. I need to breathe. I need to lie on the floor. I need warming foods. I don't need leafy. I don't need dry, cold, rough salads. I need big pots of stodgy comfort food because it's the opposite of what I am. Whereas someone who's very kaffa, like my other half, is quite laid back, he's fine on coffee. You know, he's fine with chilli. He's fine with anything that kind of stimulates and uplifts because he's really, really content to to chill out. And I'm not. I'm feeling like, oh, shit, I chilled out for five minutes. I should be doing something, you know? <laughs> that's funny. So, the, the, so that's where we're right. quite opposite. I mean, he's more, he's more tridoshic, which means a bit of everything. But he's, you know, compared to me, he's very chilled and laid and back. And so
1: you'll use things like doing sound baths and stuff to get in touch with your more feminine energy. Yeah,
0: and also because Nick and I trained in sound about five years ago. And we just realized, wow, it is such a powerful, powerful way to disconnect from outside, reconnect from inside. You don't have to know how to breathe, any any breathing techniques. You don't need to put your jazzy leggings on. You don't need to have a mantra. You don't need to have any of those things. It sound just penetrates. So you can think what you like about it. You can dislike it, but it's having an effect on the body. You know, it's it's bringing you into harmony with yourself and actually with a room. So you end up having this kind of... Unified consciousness, if you like, in that small time frame. And, you know, if anything, you walk in, you lie down, and who doesn't need that, you know? Uh, we we put you in a beautiful bed. We tuck you up with, with oh, covers. Cool. We, you know, give you a little bit of a massage around the head and on the shoulders, and people literally turn to jelly.
1: because. And you do this in uh, London? Yeah. On a regular basis? Yeah. Oh,
0: cool. Yeah, we started doing them in... Um, it's taken off. I mean, again, my, the, my friend I'm doing it with, Tony. she's also... In wellness, she's a she has five businesses. She has five aspects to what she does. One of wow. them is, is live blood analysis. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. So she was fascinated about the effect of the sound on the blood.
1: Ooh, and, has she tested it? Yeah. Oh. She couldn't
0: believe it. She said the only thing she's ever seen have the same effect is meditating on a mountain for a couple of hours. And yet in minutes. The effect on the wow. on the blood was was incredible
1: that's so interesting because last night I was at the sound bath at my friend mayhouse house he just he has this thing every Monday night and I finally made it over there and It reminded me, I have a device over there on the floor called an amp coil, and it works with frequencies. It's like a biofeedback and magnetic field technology. And it shoots these vibrations through your body, and you can use it for healing and cleansing. But I usually mostly just use it for balancing, and it just chills you right out. I was at this thing last night. I was like, oh, this feels like the amp coil, because I could feel the sound waves vibrating my body physically. And then I thought, wow, well, I wonder what's happening to my cells. And I actually had that thought about, oh, I wonder what my blood's doing now under the influence of a certain frequency. Because there there are these harmonic frequencies, right? That's so interesting. And
0: it it brings you into homeostasis and that's when your body does its stuff.
1: Yeah, that's it's, cool. You're just so getting you're out the way. So you're tested it, though, because yes. that's what I I love to, like... Yeah,
0: you like you can, the science, yeah, you, you can keep it behind it. Yeah, you have a theory it. Yeah.
1: about something, you know, it's yeah. like, ah, eh, well, it does this, it does that. I mean, I have so many, like, biohacking things and stuff, and, you know, they say it does this and does that, but until you see labs, until you see stuff, like, empirically, it's less compelling uh, to some people. I'm much more woo woo than a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. I'll, I'll go along with anything if I think it's going to work, but it is really fun to see that something's working. I, it! I, I like
0: to see it when it's working because it's, yeah, definitely you can then wow a friend who won't hear it otherwise. Right. But I also feel like as I go on and, you know, I came in this with food and I realize it's really not just about food. Food mm-hmm. is such a tiny aspect. In fact, when you eat and how you eat it probably has more of an effect than actually what you're eating is my conclusion at the moment. But I also think we don't always have the technology to be able to measure. And so we can really throw the baby out with the bathwater right. by just going, sorry, there's no evidence, you know? Yeah. And then 100 years later, we're like, ooh, shit. Yeah, I mean, that's... We the, do need gallbladders. We do need tonsils, that's, you
1: know? You know, that's the the unbalanced other side of that, the skeptical side, which yeah. is, you know, it's like, it's like I always use the example how do you prove love, the principle of love, or the power of love? I mean, when a little puppy comes in the room, and looks all happy I mean what why does that make you feel good you can't prove that we can't do live blood cell analysis maybe and prove that that's doing something but subjectively each person knows you know when you see a baby or a puppy Mm. or someone you love or there's a human connection or some validation that it just changes your chemistry you know and changes the way that you feel and think so
0: for sure so I was saying you know placebo is it works and if if your mind made it work wow it goes to show the power of the mind
1: In this episode, we're learning so much about the Ayurvedic approach to diet and lifestyle that I thought it would be a perfect opportunity to introduce you to our new show sponsor, Banyan Botanicals. Now, Ayurveda is a rich and ancient science based primarily on living according to your dominant dosha, right? So there's three types of doshas in Ayurveda, Vata, Pitta, and Kapha. We all have one, and knowing your own is really useful. Learning your unique dosha combination and understanding your constitution can reveal your natural inherent strengths and illuminate your greatest challenges. This is where Banyan's free online Ayurvedic profile quiz comes in. I recently took it. It's amazing. Okay, so you're going to go to this link to take this free quiz. It takes about 10 minutes. Go to BanyanBotanicals.com forward slash Luke. You take the quiz to discover your Ayurvedic constitution in a fun and really quick format. You're going to gain a deeper understanding of your health through the lens of Ayurveda, from your physiology to your digestion to your body structure and even your personality. You'll find out what your current imbalances are and, of course, how to fix them. Now, once you take the test, Banyan delivers to you a personalized herbal diet and lifestyle recommendation program based on your own quiz results. They also give you a free, free month content program through email that's jam packed with lifestyle, exercise and diet tips to help bring you back into balance. What's cool is you can go back to your profile anytime and review your recommendations and check in on your own progress. Now when I took the test a couple weeks ago, I learned from that test, which I kind of already knew, but it verified this, that I have really slow digestion. So I'm now using their Vata Digest tablets and their ginger extract, which is absolutely amazing. And I check these guys out too. All of their herbs are completely organic, totally legit, no swag stuff here. You guys know I'm really picky about the stuff I take. And based on my test, I also picked up a couple of other practices like tongue scraping and dry brushing, some things I've done in the past, but not really with much commitment. So if you want to learn your dosha and get a really thorough recommendation profile, go again to banyanbotanicals.com forward slash Luke. Like I said, it takes about 10 minutes and it's really fun and the results are fascinating. So I can't wait for you guys to check it out. So go, I want to go back to the east-west thing because I'm really into this because I, I, I think along those terms as well because I use a lot of ancient technology. I do kundalini yoga, I do all this stuff, but then I have these crazy modern devices that achieve some of the same states that you would maybe have to go to a mountaintop and meditate for a while would have. So in terms of the Ayurvedic approach to food and thinking about the continent of India and all of the people there, being largely vegetarian. And from what I understand, the perspective of Ayurveda and that whole way of eating is mostly exclusive of animal products, aside from ghee and things like that and some cheeses, but you have like a whole country that's uh, essentially vegetarian. And having been to India for a considerable amount of time, People didn't seem terribly healthy there. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know what their rates of disease are, but I don't walk around India going, damn, these people are ripped, man. <laughs> what are they eating? You know, it's like you don't think of Indian people as being well yeah, yeah. fit, as you'd say, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't know that that's a – because people always go for the vegetarian argument. It's like, well, look at India. They've yeah, been doing yeah, it for yeah, thousands yeah. of years. And I go, well, yeah. I, I, they don't seem like that healthy. I don't know what their, as I said, their rates of disease are. but
0: I would say, yeah, I'd say a lot has to do with Western influence, I mean, certainly for me... Being Us in the getting
1: f- our precious foods into yeah, the country. Yeah,
0: I would, I would say. Um, so, for example, I went to the Philippines when I was nine. And I remember having a little cry because my aunties were smashing shrimp in a pestle and mortar. And I didn't want to eat that. And, um, f- you know, everything was handmade and homemade. And then I went there when I was 30. And I had just been on a detox in Boracay. And went into Manila and I said to my mum, Look, just say to them, I'd love to try the local fruits and things like that. But I've just come off of this this plan and so I need to be careful about what I eat. And also I don't want them to make a fuss. And Filipinos are notorious for making a feast. You know, you come, you like the, the you know, the lost son, the return of the prodigal son. Right, right. And um and it's very offensive if you do not eat What's there? Or you upset the people? As so I said, just ask them for some local fruits and stuff. Anyway, they did put on a feast. It was it was delicious, but they were so eager to show me every westernized food that they had. Um, oh, that's yeah. so sad. I know oh, spaghetti sucks. out of tins. Oh, and no. I remember going there when I was nine, that and sucks. It, it was an absolute treat. Myself and my cousins would walk you know, four blocks on a Saturday because I stayed there for a month and we would get a little Coca-Cola and um, a packet of Doritos and that was our kind of thing and that was just, it was so much fun. When I went there when I was 30, all the children from this big to this big were just chomping through bags of sweets and chocolate and fizzy drinks. Like it was just normal food.
1: Right. Right.
0: And it was heartbreaking.
1: Oh man. You know, That's and my, brutal. I
0: was brought up, you know, to eat, to not waste the food on the plate. We ate plenty of bitter greens. Like I never had that thing that some children are said to have, which is they don't like their bitters and things. Mm-hmm. It's not, they don't like broccoli and stuff like that. I always loved those foods. Cause I, I was, I guess my palate, I had a palate for it from a young age. And now I meet my generation or my age group and younger and they're just eating chicken and rice and then Western foods, branded foods, you know, right. pr- processed foods. Right. You go to, I went to Cambodia and they have these amazing chickens in Cambodia. They're literally legs. You know, they haven't been bred to have these huge breasts. They're excellent mothers. So they don't really eat eat eggs. They let the the mothers look after the the eggs and they hatched into chicks. And they obviously had fresh fish and vegetables. And all that went to the eco hotels or the hotels. And the farmers ate the packet noodles and the packet sauces and the MSG this. And it was just, and there's malnourishment there. And they're in the sunshine. They're farmers and they're malnourished. And it's not from lack of money, you know. So I feel like now... Um, In India, I mean, yeah, sugar's cheap. Food is cheap. Processing is cheap. Everyone's got fridges and microwaves now. You know, the old-fashioned way would be they bought everything they needed for the day that morning. There wouldn't be a fridge. They ate fresh for every meal. There was always a designated cook in the house, usually the mum. People were much more in tune with their food and people laboured, you know. You grew your food or you went to get your food. I think there's stories where the mum makes the food for breakfast and then the the husband goes off to work and then she makes lunch and then she pedals the whole the whole way to give it to him then goes back and starts (laughs) dinner you know it's a full-on production and I'm I'm sure as hell glad I'm not doing that but there you know yeah now you look around the world and the influence of processed foods is 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 taking its toll you know we want to get Go down that route. We ship right. everything we don't. We start to dislike, and we realize it's bad for us. We sell it to those people. Yeah, you know. So there's there's that side of things. Yes, I agree. I mean, when I I felt better when I start started eliminating grains from my diet for sure. That was probably one of the big key things for me. um I came from you know Filipino household. You would eat a mountain of white rice, and so I'd only really ever eat really good sourdough bread. If I was going to eat grains or um, I ate all the pseudo cereals and I, I soaked them first and I would, you know, allow myself to eat whatever I wanted in a restaurant or at my friend's house or whoever's cooking for me. So in that way, when I was cooking, I just made sure it kind of suited me and then it made me game for anything else and that I, I came across. So that was kind of my thing. Then the more I started to look at Ayurveda, which has been kind of knocking on my door for 15 years and I've really been pushing it away because it's a weird word. I didn't know anyone else that was into it.
1: It's hard to pronounce.
0: (laughs) It's really hard. A lot of people say Ayurveda, um, which sounds like something...
1: I I invent a new way to say it like every couple of years. Yeah. Because... Yeah, everyone says it differently. Everyone says yeah. it differently. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like fashion designers. Like when a new, des- I remember back in the day when a new designer came out, like Proenza Schouler. Yeah, schooler. I yeah just, some people yeah. say like Schuller. Schuller, and you're yeah, like, oh, yeah. they're not cool. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I always tell our fashion students, like even Anna Winter doesn't know how to produce a goddamn designer when it first comes out. <laughs> you just kind of have to copy what other people say and hope yeah, you're right. But exactly. That's exactly. one of those strange um, ancient words. i was actually going to use the
0: same oh, the same really? example. Yeah it came to me when I first started going to yoga. And when I first started going to yoga, it was purely for the, for the physical effects. And so when I'm sitting there, you know, 10 minutes into the class that you've paid $12 for back then, and we're chanting, I'm like, when am I going to stretch? When am I going to sweat? When am I going to get my workout? And then as the time went on, I was like, I quite like how I feel. I feel calm. I feel connected. I feel like quite loved up, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's when I started to realize there was so much more to health. And Ayurveda kind of kept popping up then. It popped up in terms of eating late. As soon as I stopped eating late, oh my God, such an incredible. That was a real game changer for me. And I can tell you why in a minute. And then why hot dinner suited me. You know, remember this was a time of things not touching on the plate. Sushi was fashionable. Salads, which we didn't do well in the UK back then, processed, Pots of health food that were low fat and had calorie content on, and some kind of marketing message on that was what was in fashion. I just like, I don't get it. I don't like it. It doesn't taste good. Why does my mum's food make me feel good when it's to look at looks like it's not great for you? And that, and I evade answer those questions too. And then as I got into Vedic meditation, which we talked about earlier, my meditation teacher kept dropping in hints. You know, there was me, I've just found, you know, organic, grass fed, local raw, unhomogenized milk from the farmer's market, from from farmers whose cows had names. And my uh, my meditation teacher was like, yeah, in Ayurveda, we cook it. I'm like, why would I cook that? I've just found this incredible milk. Why would I cook it? And then bit by bit, I started to understand it's like pre-digesting the food for your body. You know, cooking it is not the same as pasteurizing it. Right. So there right. was all these subtleties and things that we in the West, especially when we go down these kind of you know, functional medicine, new science routes were like, you know, if the milk, if, if the milk is from the same carton and one's hot and one's cold, it's got no nutritional difference. In Ayurveda, that's got huge difference. You know, hot milk is soothing, grounding, nourishing, easy to digest. It's light. Cold milk is, is, is mucus forming. It's heavy. It's, it's clogging you know it's cooling so
1: interesting as you're describing that i'm I actually have the visceral experience I like yeah. No, yeah that's actually true i've never thought about it but i was thinking about a golden latte like a turmeric hot milk based golden drink milk, and like yeah. yeah golden milk yeah like how that's so sort of soothing and calming at night and yeah super easy to digest and and whatnot yeah, yeah. that's interesting. and that's the,
0: that's the golden milk is the classic one of the classic ayurvedic recipes and one that's kind of filtered into our lives via a turmeric latte which is not the same the golden the milk is cooked for 15 minutes minimum mm-hmm. and the spices are cooked into it so you get the medicinal benefits are released it makes the milk easy to digest it also means that the spices are easier to absorb so it's uh, becomes it's a it's a really it's a it's a it's a tonic you know Right, right whereas a right. turmeric latte generally it's some kind of syrup thing or a sprinkle of Turmeric for color yeah. and I, then froth milk. I,
1: Because I'm lazy, as we discussed, when it comes to mm-hmm. cooking, I make my uh, golden milks out of this uh, the gold powder by Organifi. They're one of my okay. advertisers on the show. And it's it's really, I think the, the ingredient deck is super yeah, legit. Yeah. Everything's just top quality. And I'll use whatever, you know, like I'll usually just put water and ghee or something mm-hmm. like that in a hot sauce. So drink, has it got you know. the
0: milk powders in there?
1: No, it doesn't. Okay. That's the thing. But I've been experimenting lately with like a coconut milk powder Mm -hmm, and things like mm -hmm. that and kind of cheating because Mm -hmm. i'm i never go buy like raw milk at the farmer's market because it'll go bad before i can get around to using it Well, it's
0: only really the dairy milk that needs the long cook Uh, to make that more digestible something like almond milk is lighter obviously and so yeah really you just want to kind of cook it long enough to get the goodness out of the 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 powders i mean it's like an
1: extraction yeah exactly or like
0: what do you have here that's slow drip
1: filter stuff oh like ice uh what do they call that um cold brew yeah
0: Yeah. so like cold brew like it's you know it's the it's unfortunately and it's and it's not going to be something that we in this fast modern world are very attracted to but the slower and the more mindful the process always the better right and so for me it's like we have these incredible devices like your coil you know your frequency coil and all these things and um i've just been hanging out with some really weird and wonderful people lately and there's one particular machine I was into and he was like, nah, he tested, you're too sensitive for it. Mm. And I would have, you know, I was about to splash out on that yeah, because it had an incredible effect on the cells. You remember cells. what it was called? A Beamer. Oh,
1: a Beamer, yeah, that yeah, was great. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so apparently
0: it's not good for me. And oh, then it becomes like, how come it's not good for me and it's good for someone else? And then I realized, you know, you do what you can do and the rest has to be intention. Because, you know, we are not, as uh, the majority of us are going to, Hopefully, slow down a little bit and to counteract this crazy life we live in. But most of us want to kind of live every moment of it. We're not going to become hermits. We're not going to be preparing every meal. So then I feel like, as long as your intention, as long as you put positivity into what you do and your choices, it's going to come as good as anything else. As long as the minute we stress about something not being good for us, that's the downfall. And so, really, Ayurveda is not about rules. It's about how to bring that balance into your lifestyle. So IVA doesn't say don't have coffee. Ayurveda doesn't say, you know, don't have that big greasy. Does it
1: say don't eat like, meat? Is it against uh, no, animal no, products? No, no, oh, it's not. That
0: is interesting. It's um the, the ancient texts actually talk about meat as medicine. Oh. So I think. As so a,
1: you're not doing something blasphemous by doing your. Did eat, you find eat, the meat in there? Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. by East, East meets wet because I always think of, like, Indians are not down with killing yeah, cows. They'll yeah. do the ghee and all no, that. No, they're not down but... with
0: killing cows, because cows are really, really sacred, okay. you know. they For a vegetarian country, you can imagine the only animal source of food is the milk, which then they drink as the golden milk, or right. they make... Um, Paneer, which is a bit like a set ricotta. Yeah, um, yeah. or they make. Mm, yum. I'm yum. so hungry. I've got my ricotta in
1: there. <laughs> I was looking at your book earlier, I was like, I should have eaten lunch before I did this interview. Why you eat I'm lunch?
0: Like, You missed the prime time to digest.
1: I my eating schedule is really strange. I'm working on it because I have a I fast, you know, like inadvertently, and then in the morning I'll have my fatty coffee or my fat drink. Yeah. But today, I, for some reason, I was like, you know, what, I'm just going to skip the coffee today, and so I had um, I had some like um, uh, coconut water or something, and yeah, yeah. and. So I didn't get my fats in today and I'm like, oh my God, I'm like famished. It's five o'clock and yeah, have, yeah. I've not eaten a so you lunch. So ha-
0: you'd only have a fatty coffee. Between-
1: usually I, I'll have like a like some sort of herbal elixir with some ghee or grass fed butter, some brain octane oil, like kind of an MCT oil. And At I'll, what time? Uh, usually I'll have that, like I wake up around eight or so mm-hmm. and I'll have that. And then I won't eat food until probably like three or four. Maybe I'll have a lunch. To and then I'll your... eat dinner at like eight or nine. Like, my sleeping, my, my food schedule, <laughs> admittedly, is not great because a... I, I get really hungry really late at night, and then yeah. that screws with my sleep. Because I like even last yeah, night, yeah. I woke up and I was like, ah, oh, kind of had heartburn and stuff. Yeah, it was so annoying. You're
0: literally taking your dinner to bed with you. Yeah, That's, exactly.
1: I mean, so... so let's talk about the timing then. Yeah. Okay, so we've established like you're not necessarily
0: Did I cut we cover the last point? So the meat well, point yeah, the like, meat okay, point. So yeah.
1: let's let's do that and then talk about the timing. Okay. So so how have you sort of integrated the you know, the primal paleo thing, which is an ancient way of eating, with yeah. actually a newer way of eating, would yeah, be yeah. the Ayurvedic is a more yeah. domesticated and industrial based yeah. diet, let's yeah, be yeah, frank, yeah, right? Yeah. Hunter-gatherer people on the continent of India would not have been eating an Ayurvedic diet. They would not have been no, eating no. whatever the freaking gopher was yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, they caught under a rock or something, you know. So how did, how have you married this? How those?
0: I kind of see it is, you know, when you are a hunter-gatherer, the only way to survive is being totally in touch with nature. Like, you, you know, you had to hear the beast moving. You had to walk. You know, you had to make sure you weren't going to get eaten. There was, you know, you had to literally sync with what was going on around you you were totally connected and food didn't come easy you didn't walk into you know sweet potatoes growing out of the ground you didn't walk into you know a lot of that stuff actually was was really poisonous you know there was lots of trial and error (laughs) about what you could and couldn't eat totally seasonal and you know some some big storm came or some this it would wreck the coconuts for the year or you know you just you literally lived by what nature was giving you because you couldn't control it yourself and so you went through natural periods of fasting. You created what we call the, the Agni, is the stomach fire. Have you ever had done Breath of Fire? in? Yeah, sure. Yeah,
1: all the <laughs> so time. That's, that's your Agni. <laughs> Every day. Yeah. Every day. So that's your Agni. Yeah.
0: And so naturally that would fire up from all the movement you did and even just the kind of the hunger of the chase of getting your food, you know. It was a really natural way to live. Then when we decided to slow down and be able to control everything which someone told me recently was more about beer than anything else actually
1: oh funny yeah
0: (laughs) smart yeah (laughs) alcohol is always goes back to alcohol when they finally started to grow their food and control this and create their 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 abodes you barter with this grain that lasted a long time the first time they had food that lasted a long time you know as money and society grew and things and they covered the aspects that we need to survive, like I talked about, food, shelter, you know, clothing, warmth, you know, oxygen, water. Humans get lazy, you know, suddenly you've got it all at your fingertips. And so the art of living, the science of living was really a way to keep us connected to nature. So all those rituals and ceremonies and traditions that we've kind of thrown out the window in our chase for new age technology and always being one step ahead, trying to be one step ahead of everything, disconnects us from all that stuff. And so even back then, even 5,000 years ago, they knew the human ego had to be contained by introducing rituals that made you worship. You know, for me, I was raised as a Roman Catholic. Worshipping the Ganges is a bit weird, you know. But now I actually see why, you know. If you don't give thanks to the water and respect the water that gives life, To the community, if you just pollute it willy nilly and don't care about it and just divert it and do all these things, you wreck, you you really mess things up. And so now I see why that ritual of even a tea ceremony in the East, you know, in, in the UK, we kind of stick the kettle on, dunk our tea bag, you know, kind of give it a quick mix, slurp it on the way. You know, by the time we've even got back to our desk, we've slurped it. You know, there's no connection to it. You know, and in Asia, you think about they boil the water to a certain temperature. They know the flavours of the teas, like we might know fine wines, how they serve it, you know, just the right temperature, how they present it. And when you get given, we give um, our soundbards tea and it's incredible. People come up, we let them come up and wake up like like a baby, slowly, gently. And they sit there and we hand out these little, like a mug actually, with a little bit of tea in and they'll go... And they literally look at it like they've never seen a cup of tea before.
1: Wow. Because they've become so present. Because from they become the so soundtrack. present. They've had yeah. their
0: eyes shut. They've they've had to start using their other senses. They're waking up, they're going gentle, they've got something warm. They start to feel the texture of the cup. They start to connect as the temperature, the right temperature. What's those smells? What's in this? And that for me is what these rituals are, that Ayurveda, um, you know, and other philosophies and religions almost base things on because it keeps us connected to each other and to our environment so we remember we're nature Like that's the number one we are nature so when we've created these societies and we started to learn I mean how we found out that if you soak the the rice or if you soak the lentils if you split the lentils they become easy to digest if you cook them with certain spices they had to basically it was like what we do nowadays which is we are living in this community. We've got Wi-Fi coming at us. How can we control that? We've got central heating. It dries out our skin. How can we remedy that? You know, that's what they, they were doing. They are saying, right, we're a bit disconnected from nature now because we're trying to create our own little ecosystem. So we have to learn how to prepare that food properly. We know how to get the best out of that food. And so that's how this certain food preparations began. So kitchari, which is this mongda lentil rice porridge, if you like, When you prepare it in a certain way, when you toast the rice first, when you prepare it with the spices, it becomes a whole, very easy to digest protein. And that's a very staple dish
1: interesting you
0: see so you, yeah. you and even because if i
1: were to just go boil some lentils right now and eat a bowl of them i would be wrecked
0: yeah why what would it do for you
1: i would just would like my i would get stomach cramps yeah, yeah. like bloating so gas this That'd is, be horrible. This is,
0: this is the big the big issue and a lot of people have problems with lentils but most of us are not preparing them properly so they have to be first of all ayurveda focuses on on a, a smaller number of lentils they are usually dull which means split so it means the hull has been removed and that they've been split in half. Soaking is really important, rinsing, and then cooking for a long period of time, not in a pressure cooker, as well. If you want to get pedantic about it, and then with spices, and that this combination of the spices makes it easier to digest. They also make sure they're hungry. You don't put lentils into a, onto a fire that's not firing. Mm. It's that's like putting a log onto a slow burning fire. Interesting. <sharp> Goes out. Interesting. And they eat very slowly. So, yes, yeah, scoffing unprepared lentils quickly, that's when you didn't make it to the next stage in in the uh, Ayurvedic world, you know. Right. You might as well go back out in the forest and forage again. Right. So it's like, this is what we've got. How do we make it work for us?
1: That's so interesting. So it was sort of a, a segue out of the hunter-gatherer lifestyle into a more... Yeah. you know, domesticated agricultural-based I mean, lifestyle. Yeah,
0: Ayurveda was a later refinement of the agricultural-based lifestyle.
1: Ah, okay. It wasn't, okay. they didn't come
0: out of the forest and become Ayurveda. Ah, okay. It would become Vedic, you know, it became...
1: Interesting. You know,
0: and what fascinates me is we think we're so modern now. We think we're so up-to-date. We think, you know, we feel like we've... we've Apart from a few <laughs> details and, you know... Right. You know, genetics and, um, and all that kind of thing. Yeah, we're bang up-to-date, you know. But actually... Right so much of what we're discovering now quantum physics was they knew it 5,000 years ago
1: that's the funniest thing I always think about that when I I, because I've been doing kundalini yoga a lot for maybe six years or something seven years something like that and then I'll go do some other modality or something oh it's scientifically proven da 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 thing and I'm like I, I know what it was. I just went to this Tony Robbins event and he's like, Okay, we're gonna do this breathing thing and it's called this and it's called that and I was thinking, uh, this is yoga. <laughs> yeah, has, yeah, yeah. It has yeah. a different name, but there's all yeah. these studies and, and all and all this stuff, and not to, you know, discount any of that's amazing. I love that, that information's getting out, mm. but we're not as, you're right, we're not as clever as we think we are. Like no. much of this has already been established and just forgotten about or buried or yeah. just been lost in translation of moving from one, you know, country to another yeah. or culture to another. Yeah. And so that's really, what a fascinating so, way to look at it. I've never me, looked at it like that. For
0: me, I, I think it's like there is, the knowledge is there. It's all there. And it's just how we conditioned or have we been conditioned not to tune into it? Right. You know, Because, you know, in, incredible inventions, I can't think what, were thought of at the same time... I think iridology was was found at the same time by, two, by a boy who had an owl in one country on the other side of the world by a scientist or by a doctor, wow. you know? And... The boy didn't have the technology, for sure. He somehow t- tuned into something. It's 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 there. In, in right. the same way that we're fascinated about how they build the pyramids. How the hell did Stonehenge get built? You know, how how did they create all these systems? That,
1: and... that shit is trippy. When you look Isn't at how those, those pyramids popped up at different places on these certain ley lines around the planet, right? Yeah. At the same time by civilizations that were in no way in contact with one another. Incredible. That is trippy stuff. It's Incredible. It's trippy stuff yeah
0: and um and so yeah the architecture that goes on in in from uh, from the vedic c- c- civilizations this i mean we have just had in the uk it's just finished um an exhibition in the welcome museum and it was all about the interaction between the european doctors and the ayurvedic doctors and how the europeans kept on going over this to find out what the ayurvedic doctors knew because they had this mastery of something they they hadn't looked at in the in the in the west and so for me it's like Ayurveda is five thousand years tried and tested. It's designed to support you. It's not a club. You're not in or you're out. You're not paleo and then you ate a donut. You're not vegan and then you had a t bone. It's like <laughs> it's you take every every time you can work with nature. You basically buy yourself vitality. You're going with the flow, and you know you're going with the stream, and that's always easier. Yeah, it makes for an easy life. And so actually, we can come to it now, the times that you eat and sleep. That's
1: exactly where I wanted to go. Makes it
0: for an easier life. So I am not a morning person, but I have become a morning person and I feel the difference in the energy. I really, really do. I mean, some of that might be placebo because someone's told me it, but it's actually, it's working for me. It suits me. I wrote this book at five in the morning, every morning while I traveled, otherwise it wouldn't have been done. And that was the time when conveniently no emails came to me, no one was up, no one was expecting anything of me. If I was a mum, my kids would hopefully be asleep. You know, that 5 a.m. is a really precious time. And what makes sense to me is it's, Ayurveda says, between 4 and 6 a.m., that's the really good time to wake up because just before the sun is when the energy of the earth is, is really strong. And that's why if you think about farms, the animals are up before the sun the farmers have got to get up early. The day starts, you know. They instinctively, their body clocks know. You know, that cockerel, I mean, it's usually depicted when the sun's coming up, but even before the cockerel's already sounding off. If you go camping, you know, it might take you a week or maybe just three days. If you don't have your blue light, you don't have your technology, you will start yawning come six o'clock. As the light goes down and you're reading by torchlight, that soon starts to become boring, you'll fall asleep. And then you'll wake up somewhere between four and six a.m. Right. that's the energy of the earth right. so really our stomach fire and this is the fire that not not only digests our food but digests our experiences it, you follow it so you're easing into the day in the morning so then you should have a light warming breakfast then in the middle of the day when the sun is at its, at its peak that's when you have your biggest meal of the day then as it goes out your digestion digestive fire goes down again that's when you eat again about six o'clock in the evening, a light meal. And then you're nice and digested in bed by 9.30, 10. That would be the ideal. And <laughs> you you're just, like, no way, not me. No, you know, what, you know what's funny,
1: Jasmine? Actually, like, I'm like, oh, my God, this would be a dream. It actually sounds very appealing yeah. to me. And I'm doing
0: it now. It's, it's like delicious. My, it's
1: this benchmark. I'm like, ah, oh, someday I've got to get in alignment yeah. because I, I know that I'm not. Yeah. Like I know that I'm totally out of sync with everything yeah. you just described. Yeah.
0: You're in sync with the city. Yeah exactly, yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah. yeah, and some of the things that I always talk about is like, you know, how do we make our water as natural as possible? Our lighting, like some of the basic fundamental things in nature, how can we sort of mimic that or recreate it in an uh, urban environment? Yeah, yeah. But the timing is not something that I've really looked at at depth or made a real effort.
0: That timing has such an effect on your, di- you know, the, 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 the things that we have in our hands that we can control but we're much more into the supplements. We're much more into this and that. The, right. But the ones here, like the time we eat, when we eat, how we eat, right. what we eat, when we sleep, they're the ones that we we couldn't we can like we can have some influence. And
1: on. a lot of those are free too. Exactly. That's the thing, you know, exactly. As, you, as you arrived, you know, as a bunch of supplements showed up in the mail, as they do, and they cost a lot of money. And
0: and I'm into them. I'm, yeah. I mean, oh my goodness, I'm into them. Our soils are depleted. We are depleted. I mean, we fly. I mean. How unnatural is that? We need yeah. the mastery of the West and the East to, to, you know, not everything can be kind of, if we're not growing our own carrots, then we need some kind of something else to, yeah. to go on and support us. They're supporting, they're like the the sidekicks to us. But, I, you know, right now I'm staying with my friend who's a Vedic meditation teacher and it's so easy. We literally go to bed at 9.30, I giggle. It's so yummy. I giggle as I get into bed. I'm like, oh, this is so good. And then I wake up at like quarter to 6.00. And I feel great. And there's this silence, you know? Yeah. And I woke up in my own time. There's no alarm screaming in my ear. There's no, oh, shit, jump in the shower. You know, brain clicks on calculating time. Okay, Uh, how long to get there? Did I do that? Did I pack that? Did I get that? Shower, eat, wash, da-da-da-da. You know, what a cruel way to wake up. You know, you wouldn't do it to your baby.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's very jarring. It's very jarring. Was it difficult to get your other half on board with this uh, rhythm?
0: He doesn't like anything I tell him to do. <laughs> of course, <yeah. laughs> But if he yeah. comes across it by himself, right, right. he's all too happy to tell me. So, right, right. so basically we're like, we, we anchor each other. I mean, cool. I'm like, you need to meditate. You haven't done it this week. And it's like, oh, shut up. And then the next week he'll catch me and like, you. I think you need a med, babe. Right. Um, so it's, it's good. And we have we have a very, you know, our life is, we travel a lot. But the few things that we've done that made such a difference was to have a TV. That yeah. immediately frees up so much time. Me either. You can see you right here. No, is Is that Nelson? Uh, I think it's Napoleon. Napoleon. That's what I meant. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I did. I had that
1: thing for eight years, and then someone's like, "Oh, that's Napoleon." I said, "I don't know." I found it in my friend's garage. My friend was moving. He said, really? "Yeah, I'm moving to New York. If you see any old crap in the garage, you want?" I said, "That's nice. amazing. Yeah, I love
0: that thing." Okay, Napoleon, not Nelson. And and please l- edit to make me sound better. Later, learn.
1: Okay, the last thing I want to cover—a timing thing—very inspirational. Mm. Totally makes sense on a common sense, basic level. You talk a lot about it's not. You know, only what we eat, but how we eat. So Mm. walk me through like how to properly eat in terms of pace Mm -hmm. and also food combining. We don't have a lot of time left, but I I love that you talk about both of those things and I wanted to touch on that.
0: Okay. So um, how we eat, I mean, things I've been saying since I started Hemsley and Hemsley is there are no teeth in your tummy. So how you swallow it is generally how it likes to come out the other end, even though you've got these meters of digestive tract. You need to think about the surface area of the food. You know, what can it get to? And amylase, obviously, that's, um, the saliva, in the saliva is a really important enzyme to start digesting food. So you want to coat your food in that. So generally, what you swallow wants to be more like soup. So even if you choose a crunchy dish, by the time you take it down, you know, you want to have got your gnashes on it and released it. You know, you've broken it down and made it, made it so that your stomach can actually absorb what's there. So, chewing is particularly important. And, I, and I, I find it quite funny that we're in this world now where we're all foodies, we've all got an opinion about food. But when it comes to the act of actually eating, it's an, either this very distracted or very quick thing. It's a bit like having a quickie, you know? It's not without the long love making, if you like. It's like we talk right. about sex all day long. And when it comes to it, it's just a quickie. And a quickie is nice every now and again and very necessary. But actually, where is the pleasure? You know, right. the pleasure happens in the mouth. Generally, we just kind of like look to our food and we expect it to scratch our backs. You know, we're like, um, and then we have one taste and then the rest goes in. And it's, uh, you know, unless unless a dish is like exploding in our mouth, we never give it any credit, whereas actually Ayurvedic, you know, asks you to actually get connected with your food. So I'm with a friend at the moment and I was telling him to slow down, slow down, slow down. and He's like, my God, I'm just tasting more stuff. Like, I don't know if I particularly liked this dish when I started eating it, but now I'm starting to love it. And it's because you created a connection. And when you don't cook your food, you don't grow your food, you don't prepare your food, you don't have that connection. So eating is the one last chance you have to connect with what's going to actually ultimately become you. So mm. slowing down and being mindful, I call it geisha training, you know, like, like be graceful with your food. It's 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 lovely to really eat your food and get involved, you know, and, and, you know, makes everyone happy to see people really kind of going for it. But it's not giving your stomach much of a chance. You know, this is where, at this point, this is where your mouth signals to your stomach what it's about to receive. Is it very fatty? Is it very carbohydrate? Does it have a lot of protein? You know, what are the digestive juices I need to get ready do I like this? Have I just been a bit protein heavy lately? Is this, I, this is a bit of a carb overload? You know, it's, it's a way of having a conversation without having to have a mental, you know, is this good for me? Is this not? Has this ticked the box? You know, it's more of a feeling. And then also, you know, your stomach is two fists. It's not this. It's not this. This is your gut. It's here. It's mm. a really small little organ, you know. And so if you overstuff it, it, stuff just can't move. It's like filling up the washing machine until it's packed. And then it's like, what happens to the detergent? It just sits on the top, and you get a lump of powder at the end. Yeah, you know. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I mean, great analogy. Yeah. Someone said to me, "Oh my goodness!" I used to pull out my, my my. Here's a boy. I used to pull out my my sheets, and there'd be a dry patch, so the water sure, couldn't even get sure, in. You know. Yeah. So that's another a really good analogy yeah. about um, about it. Then the times of the day. So you saw the middle of the day. That's the best time to feast. If you want to eat something that's not technically healthy, or you have digestive issues, but you know you want birthday cake, lunch is a better time to do it. Take a little bit of raw ginger or raw ginger with with lime or fennel and salt. Have that 10 to 15 minutes before that really stokes the fire. That's like your fire lighter. You want that fire strong. So if you know that a donut's going to cause you indigestion but you really want a donut, then wait until you're really, 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 really hungry and then you sit there with your donut and you eat it and you like every enjoy every mouthful because you chose to eat it. You know, Too often, and I think this is something that women suffer from a lot... You just
1: described what happened to me Sunday yeah? <laughs> with a cronut. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: haven't had one of those yet. Oh, man. And I love croissants, so I should try one of those. Oh, man. But, yeah, really sit there and enjoy it. Not if I... Make it go away really quickly. It didn't exist. Right. And that's a lot. That's, again, the mentality of yeah. the psychology around food. And then evening, yeah, if you eat early and you eat light, and this was really difficult for me because I used to eat my biggest meal at the end of the day, and I get it. It's when you see your family, your friends, it's social. Maybe you had a crappy sandwich at work. Now you want something really robust. Just try. Try for a bit reversing it. Make a more robust. Make, make lunchtime a thing. You know, get away from your desk. And then the evening, make a really easy soup so you have more time for your friends and family or for yourself. Have your soup. If you get into bed before 10, after 10 to midnight... That's the pitter time of day again, which is the same as ten to twelve at midday when your digestive fire is stronger. So you're actually repeating it at night, and that's why you get a second wind and you tend oh, to eat yeah, again. Yeah,
1: because I get so hungry like at ten o'clock.
0: Yeah, your body's like, oh, we're going into the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if you've got blue light God as well, I uh, That look-
1: I've got dialed. But okay, for the audience, that. you can mention.
0: Yeah. The, so if you, you know, guys, if you're coming home from work and you're looking at Facebook with, you know, from a blue light screen or your TV, or you know, on in England we've got the tube. And it's got the fluorescent lighting, then your body stops producing the melatonin. It thinks it's daytime. It thinks, oh, we're up and we're at them again. Let's go. Let's get some, let's get some food into this baby. Let's go for it. You know, you're telling your body, move through this time. Better times will come when I can sleep, but they never do. Right. And so your body will throw everything into getting you through something. And that's why when we're younger, we can move through every hangover, every you know, crap night sleep, you know, or when we've had a baby, we can go through a couple of years of not really sleeping well because we're hoping the time is coming when you get to recuperate. And the human body is incredible and it will push and push and push and push and it will hit a wall. So right. you want to balance it out before that point. And if you balance out before that point, that's when you enjoy the ebb and flow of life. It's not about controlling anything. It's about going, wow, I'm way over here. Let's get me some of that over there and then meet in the middle.
1: I love your approach. Very common sense uh, and logical. Thank you. Yeah. The last thing I want to hear about, and then we'll wrap it up, is um, food combining. Because this is something that years ago was very trendy, kind of in the natural health movements and stuff like that. And there was one doctor, Dr. Bo, here in L.A. that had this whole diagram. I used to have it on my fridge and try to follow it. Some people I've noticed with food combining, they seem to eat whatever they want. They can stack different types of foods on top of each other. They're fine. They've got good agni. I'm very sensitive. And like, for example, your American breakfast, okay, you eat some pancakes and then you eat a banana and a big glass of orange juice on top of that. I would probably throw up if I ate food in that order. I could eat the fruit by itself or I could eat the pancakes by itself. But if I mix fruit with those carbs... And especially a bunch of fats. If I put a bunch of butter in it, I'm a wreck, and I'll just, I'll just literally, I'll be like getting heartburn. Twenty minutes later, I'll be hating life. So, what's your or the Ayurvedic approach to food combining, and a few, a few of the, you know, the, sure. the steadfast rules that could apply to most people?
0: Okay, so um, Ayurveda says it is better to have good digestion and a bad diet than it is to have a bad digestion and a good diet. Mm. So that means, wow, even if your food was grown by the Pope and delivered by the Dalai Lama with all the blessings it could possibly have and it's the most awesome, you know, healthy Instagram snappable dish. If your digestion's bad, it will literally putrefy in your stomach and cause problems. So it turns to what they call Amma, which is that which is not digested so emotions as well if you don't have a strong agni, your emotions also don't get digested and that's why things play again on our mind over and over again that food will repeat on you over and over again so the most important thing is to have your digestion strong and that means when you're faced with airport food or you're faced with something rubbish you can actually fire through it and your body will take what it needs from it and get rid of the rest so Get your digestion strong is the main thing. That means try and cut down on outside stresses. Reduce internal stresses by eating mindfully, chewing your food, not overfilling your belly, eating in a calm environment, um, and also not mixing certain things. So the big no-nos with Ayurveda would be milk and banana, milk and fish, fruits and yogurts, raw food dampens the fire, it's doable, but it will just kind of. It's like putting wet stuff on a wet leaves on a on a fire. High protein and high carb. It, it's a bit. It's a bit difficult. But if you marry things together in a pot, and they get digested together, they become a new, uh, a new food. Kind of, uh, Do you see right. what I mean? So you
1: create a third substance yes. out of the, the two that you're mixing. So instead
0: of your body being the cooking pot, right? You, that's why we cook in a pot.
1: Because see, sometimes sushi, for example, will upset my stomach because you have this like white rice that's super starchy and then you have this fatty protein in the fish and those don't go well together but i'm sitting in a sushi place going everyone seems to be living the dream they're doing fine but i'll get like an upset stomach from eating that
0: i mean sometimes ignorance is bliss i found because they haven't
1: you know know, they they that would be a rule is not following the rule that you just described yeah whereas if you made a lovely stew out of that and they were simmering for hours and hours and that rice kind of got imbued with some of the fish juices and fats then you've got a different a new substance on your hands if
0: i Put you in the field and you work for about five or six hours. That sushi is going to go down a dream, right? Because your is fired up. You know, right. you're in you're in nature. You're hungry for the food. So it's 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 so many different things which can make ayurveda feel complicated. But actually, it's almost the beauty of life. It's the subtle layers. We're not tick boxes. We're not rule lists. The art of sushi and rice is. I mean, it's art, right? Yeah. So think back to the first time you ever ate sushi. I mean, it's so beautiful. You're like, oh, where does this go? This dips into that, and that's oh, did you try that? And what's that stuff there? And you know, you're connected. You're eating slowly. You're fiddling with the chopsticks. Now it's like Re- ready to go. <laughs> what do you do later? I'm like, Can you get me another sake? Right, you know, right. and yeah. that's also believe yeah. it or not, that's a problem. Yeah. So we can measure and we can we can test what does and what doesn't go together and scientists can debate against this and debate against that, but it's so many different things. So I think, you know, if I'm in a situation where I've got to go to someone's house and eat dinner and I'm not hungry, I will literally have a little bit of hot water that helps to kind of flush things through and I will eat ginger or lemon or salt And that will get me hungry. Mm. And then I'll eat slowly and I'll be polite about it. And if I like it, but it's not going down well, I'll take a doggy bag home. Right. Cool. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, wow. Thank you. you. Went well over. <laughs> that's great. No, it's great. I mean, honestly, I, I did a poll on my Facebook group, by the way, if you're listening to this uh, at this point still, I have a private Facebook group called the Lifestylist Podcast where you can weigh in on conversations such as this. But I did a little poll in there. Like, do you guys want me to, if I have a long episode, say that's an hour and a half, two, three hours, do you want me to split it up into two episodes? Like I have been doing on Tuesday and Friday. Do you want me to split it up into two halves, put it out back to back the same day on Tuesday? Or do you want just one long? one and it was like 90 percent of the people like just give us one long one we'll figure it out yeah so i was like that all right press cool so, when need to. yeah so today i'm releasing one that's three and a half hours <laughs> oh, or God. yeah so just, it is what it is you yeah. know so no it's fine but i have a uh, I have a um a network spinal analysis appointment in beverly hills which is just wow. this really lovely uh, therapy that i've been doing so uh, i'm gonna go do that but in closing tell us about uh you know, the the name of your book, where it can be found, your cafe, TV show, website, social media, anything you want to promote.
0: So there's two Hemsley & Hemsley cookbooks. I have a cafe in Selfridges in London. And my latest book, which is East by West, which is simple Ayurvedic recipes for mind-body balance is, I think, online. So just type that in. I'm Jasmine Hemsley or East by West and you'll find it. And yeah, I hope you're enjoying. Good luck for your taster of Ayurveda or You know, there's some pretty good stuff in the back. I'm very proud of something I've created called the Star of Ayurveda, which really helps you to understand the doshas and the qualities in a really simple, you know, I like to see things visually. So
1: I love the guidelines in the beginning too, where you give just kind of some basic outlines. I was reviewing that before our talk and I was like, oh, this is actually very simple and easy to follow. And then you get into the recipe. So it's really, it's a cool book.
0: And for anyone who's suffered from digestive issues, um, I know I have. I really invite you to have a look at the Ayurvedic perspective on things because you could be. I'm going to do that because yeah. that's, that's
1: one thing I have not really sussed out. Yeah. Like, I'm still struggling with that a bit. And I'm a otherwise a very healthy person.
0: And just to give you some kind of a bit more background, you know, what really made me sit up and take pay attention is everything we're talking about now fermenting, sprouting, soaking, nut milks, slow cooking, oil pulling, tongue scraping, uh, mindful eating, you know, conscious pooing, all these things ayurveda
1: wow really
0: yeah it's basically the new health rules are the old ones
1: that's crazy yeah. that's crazy good to know all right last question you've taught me a time i had no idea i was going to learn so much <laughs> every time i do an interview i'm like i already i'm just going to humor them and ask them some questions <laughs> for the audience you know but i'm like oh shit i learned so much and uh the audience i'm sure has as well so who have been three Teachers or teachings that have taught you a lot that you might send our listeners to go check out on their own?
0: Ah, gosh. Most of the people are like little old men and women. So I don't think you'll even find them online. But I would say Vedic meditation has been epic for me. My uh, friend Will Williams in London, um, Gary Goro in Sydney, he's my original teacher. Because of that, because of yoga and meditation, I mean, yoga and meditation, Ayurveda. Someone who does great halfway houses, Deepak Chopra. You know, he's got, he's the Ayurveda and the doctor at the same time. Right, right. Speak to the old folk. Speak nice. to, yeah, speak to the oldies, you know, like when they that. talk about, you know, I, I know people who smoked till they were ninety eight. They just didn't have the other shit going on, right? You know, they knew how to live life. They had their sherry at lunchtime. My great aunt's ninety eight, and she has a sherry every day. She has a <laughs> very true. light. She has tea time. She doesn't have dinner. You know, wow. She goes to bed. She rolls with it, and she lives by herself. She takes care of herself. So
1: interesting. Um, That's cool. Yeah. I like that. And then
0: watch the babies as well. Babies know, right? That's baby, it. you
1: know what babies know how to do? They know how to move. Yes. And I watch a baby move i'm like okay i knew how to do that at one point like yeah, that means yeah. it's in my dna to do it again and yeah. it's, it's inspiring to help me i'll kind introduce of... you
0: to have a little look at tony riddle my friend Who's uh, oh yeah he's called the um very similar actually the natural natural stylist on on instagram but tony does something called rewilding and it's oh, yeah. fixed a lot of my little issues in oh, my body cool. as you get older you know there's little yeah. niggles hey oh my god but as you know moving around and just acting you know he we play games with the kids where we just Become animals on the floor and suddenly everything clicks back into place. <laughs> oh,
1: that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. We'll look them up. Well, thank you so much for joining thank me. Thank you for having and, me. Uh, enjoy the rest of your trip in sunny Southern California until I see you again. Cheers,
0: Luke. Thanks.
1: Congratulations. You made it to the end of another episode. I'd like to take a moment to thank you, to thank our guests, Jasmine Hemsley, as well as our three sponsors. We've got Organify, that's organify.com forward slash Luke. And the discount there is 20% off your first order using the code LIFESTYLIST. Next up, we've got Athletic Greens. You can go to athleticgreens.com forward slash luke and get 20 free travel packs valued at 99 bucks with your first purchase. And then of course, my old buddies at Amp Coil. Not a day goes by in my life, you guys, that I don't use my Amp Coil. It's one of the coolest things I've ever come across in my 20 plus years of health wackiness. So those are our three sponsors. And uh, you know, if you know someone who could use a little encouragement or some knowledge around their food and what they eat and staying healthy and all of that, do them, me and Jasmine a favor. And go down to your podcast app, look in the bottom right-hand corner, and you'll see three or four little dots there. Click on that and you'll see share. And what I'd love for you to do is to go ahead and text or email or just copy the link and share this with a friend or a family member. It's a really good way to get this information out. It's a great way to support the show. You can also use your podcast app, of course, to leave a rating and review. They make it finally, after two years of begging you guys to do this, they made it really easy to do that. So I'd love for you to leave a review. Uh, don't forget also, if you're not on my newsletter, please join up. I'm not going to send you a bunch of weird stuff. I really just want to announce my podcast so that you make sure to listen to them. That's the bottom line, right? And you can do that by going to lukestory.com forward slash newsletter. Or if you have a US phone, simply text the word, all one word, lowercase, the lifestyleist one word, the lifestyleist to the number 44222. Feel like a broken record because I do a lot of these intros batched out in one day, and I keep saying that over and over again. But uh, that's how you guys find out when a new show comes out. That's how I find out every Tuesday morning. I get the damn emails to it. I'm like, oh shit, I got a show out today. I got to listen to it and, you know, figure out how to improve what I'm doing. So thank you so much for joining me, Jasmine. If you ever hear the end of the show, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate. Uh, Guests like Jasmine, I'm I'm really working on the diversity of guests. I want people from different countries, different nationalities, different areas of expertise, different races, different sexes. I want to hear from everyone, and uh, she brought the UK with some realness, which was great. And I think, my friends, that is all I've got to tell you today. I'm going to close this out with a little lonely hobo style old blues harmonica playing because I just bought this thing today and I'm playing it on a couple outros just because no one's probably listening this far into the end of the show frankly so even if it blows no one knows except me and you This episode of the Lifestylist podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net.